0: hello and welcome to episode 100 of inside the wdf with me andrew sinclair i've actually got a little over 100 episodes in the, the can now uh, with the golden arrows lakeside retrospective i've done and the, and the world master series i did before but it's a very nice milestone to get to 100 episodes and hopefully this is a really fun one for for you guys to listen to it was a fun one for me to put together There'll be previews for the Big Australian Open coming up later this week, previews for the Antwerp Open weekend, which looks really exciting, very competitive field. There'll also be my thoughts on recent events in Japan and New Zealand, as well as a really fun batch of listener questions. There are also three guests on this week's show, the WDF World Champion Neil Duff, New Zealand's Nicole Raynaud, and good friend of the show, Sean MacDonald. First up is Neil Duff, who I caught up with last week, just before he started on his journey from Northern Ireland over to Australia. I'm now delighted to be joined by the world champion, Neil Duff. Neil, how are you?
1: How are you doing, Andrew? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, Just getting ready to head off here. Um, How's things with yourself?
0: Yeah, very good. Very excited to be at episode 100. Excited to have you on the show um, I know you've got the Australian Open coming up a lot on the horizon for you. We'll get into all of that in a bit. The last time you and I spoke was in the reception of the Lakeside Hotel, about an hour after you'd beaten Tebow in that final. How did you end up celebrating your world title win in the end?
1: <laughs> to be fair that night, I, didn't. I was so... Uh, we went back into the room. I think after I'd done interviews with you, I'd done interviews with some, And then went back into the room and Richard Ashton had done a wee speech and stuff. The time of that, I came through about right 2 in the morning and I was absolutely shattered. I got half a beer, or half a cider, and went to bed. And then we were straight up the next morning, then we up to Haydock with a, a promo thing in Haydock, Monday. And then from there up to, Gla- up to Glasgow, to Airdrie, for an exhibition on the Tuesday night. So and, uh, we had a good celebration that night, which we did. And, uh, but yeah, it took a couple of days to get home. Whatever, next sunk in. Um, having come back to the town in the town our local council had put banners up one day and others.
0: Yeah, it was quite surreal. Yeah, I was going to say I saw those pictures on Facebook of the the banner the local council had put up, and then the you did an event with your, your local area as well. What was it like to get that recognition in your hometown? <laughs> yeah,
1: they, they, they laid on a. leisure centre and, and one of the, the TV commentators come in and um, yeah, it was a great night and I do appreciate what you're slamming for me. I've only just tried it this morning um, in the town they have a couple of uh, space and they have two big elbows up, uh, one, of, one of my son, one of Johnny Ray. Johnny Ray uh, was super big champion He's in the town here. So, um, yeah, it's nice to be
0: recognized from the time. And I saw you managed to uh, get some new specs as well from your local opticians.
1: <laughs> One of the local opticians, the family there, uh, they, they had watched the final and, and seen me throw my glasses up the last bird was thrown and um, they kindly messaged the fan page and offered me uh, a new, an eye test, a new glasses, so I, I was very happy to take them. up and I appreciate that as well.
0: <laughs> now, when we spoke at Lakeside, you said to me that one of the things you wanted to do with your prize money was when you got home, you wanted to build a dart room so that you got somewhere dedicated at home for, for practice and to put trophies and all that kind of thing. How's progress on getting that room together?
1: There's been progress. I have the stuff it's all there. Uh, but I haven't been home any more than three days a day. So it's, it's time, but hopefully maybe after mid-October or so, maybe come a few weeks or a couple of weeks. i anyway, start made on it, but I'm going to be doing it all myself. So yeah, I can kind of do it as a well, but up on there it's just been absolutely flat out and it's going to be now
0: for an hour and six weeks or so. Something I, I was going to ask you at Lakeside and I, I forgot because it was pretty late and I knew you wanted to, to you know, get back to your manager and your family and stuff. I know you're you're big on your tattoo so I wondered if you were going to get some new ink to mark your world title win. I saw you've had it done. How long did that tattoo take?
1: It was actually a friend of mine done it, and, um, and I had it done in about three and a half to four hours. Yeah, it was it was a bit nippy, right? now so it was, but yeah, I needed to mark something. But you know, when I put the picture on Twitter. A lot of guys there. So where are you going to put 2023? <laughs>
0: 2020. So yeah, uh, yeah. Hopefully over the next couple of years, I'll be constantly. Let's add it Well, glad to see your friends are thinking ahead. I listened to an interview you did a couple of months ago now with with Josh Green, and you said to him that you'd more or less given given up work, which tallies with what you're saying about not being at home a lot. Had you thought about giving up work prior to winning the world title or was it just winning it meant that giving up work was a necessity?
1: Whenever I, I kind of at the, the ethos in my head that this is my out, this is my uh, this is my chance to get away from standing on the building site on the morning or having to lift four or five hundred raise blocks before I'm going to practice at night. So, so yeah, it was part of my motivation but... Uh, what I have found is it, it's a big adjustment for me because I've always worked. So when I'm getting home for three, three, four days, after day two, I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> I'm starting to think about taking other be jobs on. Um, I I work with an old guy. We we build extensions and stable wet rooms. And stuff. There's all through the grant office. So I can't really take anything on because you're you're cutting yourself to Two, or two months or month work. So, yeah, I'm going to have to look at we But talking about our friend of mine, a woman who's going to be a bit of consulting firm, yeah, I, I, I don't miss it. I honestly don't miss it. Oh, I always did love my work, but for this to be my work now, I, I'm, I'm probably enough and I'm, I'm making money. And as far as tour events is concerned, kind of been written on the back of the, the title, and I only a few weeks ago then. I need to get back onto my own thought know, again. Uh, the Lord Mayor share shows over sort of thing, and and get stuck in. So yeah, you're going to see big cards from me over the next couple of
0: months. In terms of the darts you've played, you've done a lot of the the WDF events since winning the title. Do you think since becoming world champion, there's been a change in the way that other players on the the tour see you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a common sense thing, you know. It's, Whenever you win anything, like that there, there becomes this big huge target on your back. So, the the first one after the World was the Scottish Open, and you got and you're playing some you're Scottish guy who don't know him. He's probably not even county level, but he's got a thirty friends standing behind him and they're all shooting and cheering for him. It makes it a little harder to sell, a little harder to play. But at the same time, whenever you win a game like that. There's thirty mates as those guys come over and for a photograph, or come over and your hand. You know, so everyone's been very respectful. Like, uh, yeah, it does, and I think a lot of the the guys on the tour uh, came up with their family.
0: Looking back to, to Lakeside, I think it's fair to say that throughout the week you were playing with a, a real sense of you know attitude. You were playing on the edge. It was almost as though you kind of got a chip on your shoulder all the way through the week. Winning that world title, you know, that's like reaching the mountaintop. Do you feel that you've still got that same drive in you that you had during that week in April?
1: Yeah, of course I do, yeah. I don't First and foremost, he wants to win. No, no one likes, likes to lose. Um, I have found over the last couple of years that I would be sore of an lose than I used to be because I wanted so much. But the next side was a different thing altogether. It's... It was something I had worked on mentally as much as physically. So yeah, I had got myself into doing it. It's not that I had a technical; I had a... I worked very hard with the set format. set format has been format than most of the guys I used to play. And there is always left. Like the Jim McCune match. like not getting started so late on. I played the perfect set play for the last four sets. But yeah... I I, I'll continue to play, this is the way that I play it at the league side, I'll continue to have the cockiness, the brashness, of that, of that. because I, I do honestly think that at the league side, the players, my opponents picked up that as much as I know, and it kind of gave me an edge.
0: And uh, when we spoke last year, it was after you won the, the national singles in, in Chelsea, you said to me that one of your big goals was being WDF world number one. Uh, and you won that, you won that ranking by winning Lakeside, and then two weeks later you lost it again because James Harrell won the, the Scottish Open. Do you want that number one spot back?
1: One million percent. won the back. Um, hopefully, the next Sunday night, I'll have it back. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, that doesn't, to say it doesn't mean nothing to me. Uh, it means nothing to be number one because I'm qualified, I'm I'm up there in the ranking centre, I'm going to be no matter where I go. There's no no real profit to being number one, as opposed to being number 16, but just to have that on your resume, as your WDF number one, there has been to
0: yet. Since winning the world, you've been consistent on the, the WDF tour, but haven't quite got to that you know that the, the finals essentially you've had a couple of quarterfinals in Romania, a few last sixteens as well. Where do you feel your game is at at the moment?
1: Romania was a strange one because uh, on the Sunday I beat everyone that had, uh, I played more or less the same as we played on the Saturday. Mike Gullett beat me on the Sunday or on the Saturday. I then played, played beat him on the Sunday. I beat Diogo. Like was there. I got unlucky in the, in the quarterfinals on the Saturday. On the Sunday, we moved from the, the, the main room. Before that quarterfinal match, we moved from the main room, the playing room, and the side room to play because we were set up for the state finals. And the move I didn't take too well because it was a wee small room. Everyone was in to watch it, and there was guys actually walking up play it. But but uh, game wise, I was happy enough with my game. Brain, I was pretty animated. So Whoever, no one I would have had the choice of I, I wouldn't attended it because it was just the room was too small, and with, with the heat not there, I couldn't even wear my glasses because my glasses were steaming up. Plan, um, so, so to get a quarter final there, it was quite an achievement for Jennifer, a guy with no glasses on. But I'm happy with my game. Like I said. Again, I rested on the laurels there after the lakeside, but
0: I've got that mentality back again that I need to go ahead and start picking mm. up titles. And uh, before we, we get to the Australian Open, I know as part of you signing with Red Dragon, you've you've worked on some of your custom darts and they're now out and about. I've seen some reviews of them. They've all been all been really positive. Now, you were using the, the Joe Cullen darts, what you won the lakeside with. Were you looking specifically for, for Red Dragon to design you something new and, and bespoke to yourself?
1: Red Dragon have been brilliant. Ever since the Lakeside, Red Dragon have been absolutely brilliant. So, next time I got down, I off on a missed out. I was down there then, I'd been uh, down at Modus for the week and then came across and watched a bit of the got up to Red Dragon for the day and up with Simon. Yeah, we sat and we talked to the guy who does the dirt. I didn't want to strip too much from the Joe Collins setup. Uh, I think the darts fit me in the perfect shape, so structure-wise, we didn't really we, we didn't go to the uh, dark, getting away Yeah. Um. I did change the front bit. If you've seen them, they've got a, a, a vertical cut in them. Um, I, I just figured, I find that Joe Collins were wearing just a wee bit too quick because of the nano grip that's on the front. So I, I kind of wanted to come away from that there, um, because I, I'm, a, I'm a center drift anyway. Um I asked, they made, it, she made me three sets of darts, three, three different uh, pipes there, there in front of me, um, brought them home for a week or two, made a decision, and then just went touch for Lee. He said, yeah, no problem, what color? We talked through the color. Yeah, yeah about a week or, a week or two. Or the
0: were released. It's something I said and and I'd As you say, you're flying out to Australia later today for for the Australian Open, or you're starting your journey late today. Anyway, it's crazy to think. Certainly for me, anyway, that you know this time last year, you hadn't even won your first WDF title, and that the WDF circuit hadn't come back properly. You know, we hadn't had any big events certainly in Europe. So, for you to look back over the last 12, 12 months, is it is it a nice thing to be able to look back and see how far you've come?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Picked up a couple of titles last year. The thing is, I was I was match ready whenever we knew that the tour was we going to start up again. Denmark probably one of the first ones. So yeah, I, I, I was, I've been a lot of online stuff, so I was competitively match fit. I feel the tour of it on should have done better on um, but yeah, um, for, from, and, and this is where I have to give the with um, Richard and, and Nick and the, and the guys, I mean, they, they came off the back of, of lockdown and COVID. They didn't have a financial year prior to that. So to be able to put this together, with the, the income which they generate from tour events, was actually, I do have to, that, they got a the brilliant job, the actual week itself for the players and the fans, It's pretty brilliant. We're finally through that stage and tour events are all coming on again and I'm enjoying travelling again. Let's say, I think the for you I what we tend to do a lot of the tour, so I've been pretty much doing everything but all the soldiers of the anyway. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're out of that stage. Um, yeah, who would have thought a year ago then that I'd actually been heading off to the other side of the world.
0: I know you're a man who loves a prediction, so how do you think you're going to get on at the Australian Open next week?
1: <laughs> That's probably the worst thing i ever done was predict- predicting my first score, because all you guys are like... Listen, I, I, I'll get down there with a bit of confidence I'm on the side with. Like, um, it's eight groups of three, you'll play two uh, group matches. I would be very disappointed in myself to come out of the group and into the quarterfinals. Then get out of the group. It's a different you have to change different format. Change your your way of thinking and take it one game at a time. Um but yeah, I expect myself to do well. I expect Mal Cumming, the Australian line, I expect him to do well. Yeah, it'll be good and it'll be it'll be an experience of my lifetime.
0: One of the biggest things for you on the, the WF side before the end of the year is the, the Europe Cup, where uh, presumably you will be representing uh, Northern Ireland. If you could pick one medal from one of the competitions to win, which one would it be and why? The team event.
1: Yeah, the team event. The better. Uh, it's always been my it Always has been. Every yeah, country, the biggest, guess, the meat art player can have on on their their stables. We got bronze in Turkey in 2015. We got bronze the Europe Cup. All the year after. Yeah, we've, we've got a good. We've got a good team going this year. Um, actually, to the four-man team. The from my hometown. So, yeah, that would be the one. I would. I would love to win.
0: So you. Uh saw so pictures of you anyway at the World Match Play recently cheering on Darryl Gurney uh, are you going to be giving Q School a go next year?
1: Um, yeah uh, thanks to Red Dragon Red Dragon sent yeah, me and I uh, got up into the players room and met, met a lot of the guys the, the, especially the, German, the, the, the Red Dragon guy great experience I won't lie but the balcony watched Daryl coming on and the crowd were actually fantastic. I'm not a big fan of the PDC now. from watching on TV, especially the 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 German ones and that. There. I, I don't, I hate that because the WDF, the, the, what was the BDO? It's, it's so respectful that you go to the PDC, and a, a leg or a match depends on people you know, whistling or or whatever. But the stand standing up is kind of. Kind of let the hairs in the back of the neck I'll be back. yeah, I would love to do that sometime. Um you all have seen that I've actually accepted my invitation to the seniors won championships in February in the circus tavern, so um, for two thousand twenty you know,
0: the uh, active I thought that might be the case when I saw the world seniors thing and I suppose it would come on to that world seniors next then. I know you're obviously looking forward to playing against the the likes of Phil Taylor and and all the others and obviously that Circus Tavern holds some special memories for you from that World Remasters run that, you know, kicked everything off, really, for you in
1: 2019. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, who, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to play against all the sport? We got there. Bill Taylor and guys got there. And even younger, senior guys, Kevin Kent and They're and, 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 and all just the friends of mine. So, yeah, yeah, we, we sat down with with God, my manager, and my, between the exhibition work, the WDF stuff, and the seniors... There's still a lot of money to be made. There is good money in, in, the, in the Seniors. But I think that'll actually fit in with me yet, because I do know a lot of the guys there. Don't get me wrong, I, I would like to go to the Q School at some point, to, just to test myself, but as a business now, we, we kind of have to look and see what's best for our input. And uh, yeah, the WDF, the Seniors, the exhibitions and the motor stuff, that'll keep us busy. <laughs>
0: Looking ahead to, to next year, uh, WDF World Championship, whether it's at Lakeside or or somewhere else, how much are you looking forward to that moment where Richard Ashdown calls out your name and announces you for the first time on that big televised stage as the world champion? Yeah,
1: I think My interview on stage, afterwards, after the final, it, uh, it's that done. But you get whenever you hear being just in the world. Luckily enough, I'll have it between next week and in Australia because I'll be to, as the world champion. Yeah, I'll always get a buzz from that. But I also know back into the world again with exactly the same intelligence I have this year with every doubt in my mind that I can retain it.
0: Absolutely. And uh, two last things for me then. Last year when we spoke, I asked you about, you know, Northern Irish youth darts, who was going to be the the next name for us to to watch. And you said to me, a lad called Josh Rock, who at the time I'd I'd never heard of and not many people had either. He then went to the Irish Open weekend with you, got to a final, gone to the PDC and now Eddie Hearn saying, you know, he's going to be, not Eddie Hearn, Barry Hearn saying he's going to be a future top eight player in the world. I'm sure it's been no surprise at all to you to see how well he's done and how easily he's taken to, to life in the PDC.
1: I did tell you, like, I yeah. knew yeah, Josh to like, So, uh, yeah, he's doing amazing stuff with the DC. He's in good company there with uh, John O'Kane. His destiny's in his own hands, though. So it's up to him how he conducts himself, how he motivates himself. So, yeah, he's it, it, got the world at his feet I, hope, I honestly do hope that he pushes on and, and does what Barry Hans says he's going to do um, there's no reason why he can not and uh, yeah he, he's he's he has
0: something special You know Scottish football season starts tomorrow how are your beloved Rangers going to get on this season?
1: Brilliant I, know, I think they'll be they'll be a step above everybody but, uh, just i seen this morning that Kent Morales again. yeah it's uh, Scottish football is a long season tonight but we, we, we'll made a few good signings, we've done some good business over the summer and um, some good results in there the pre-season, so uh, we'll see how it goes and hopefully I'm up for the pick a, and a couple of matches and you know, try and fit them in around my guys. Uh, also a Chelsea as well, so we're, we're down in the 0-2 in October for the Viking Cup. I've actually just found out uh, Lee Boys told me that Chelsea play
0: Man United that weekend, so if it's possible, I'm going to try and get it. To see that the be. Oh, nice one. Well, thank you very much for your time, Neil. As always, it's greatly appreciated. Uh I'll see you at the, the Viking Cup in October as I'm playing, but uh hopefully I, I won't draw you. And I mean that in the nicest possible way because I know you're going to batter me. So. <laughs> yeah, that's good.
1: Something to look forward to, yeah.
0: It was great to chat to Neil. He's someone that's always very fascinating to to listen to. It was interesting to hear him say that he feels he's rested on his laurels a bit since winning that Lakeside title back in April. And if people remember what he was like during that week, where he was so motivated, so hungry, so driven, I think what he's saying about being incredibly motivated for the rest of the year is going to make him a very dangerous dart player and probably a very successful one as well. As me and him discussed in that interview there, he will be in action in the Australian Open later this week. And he will be the top seed for the second ever Australian Darts Open in Moama. The eight men's seeds are Neil Duff, Yellow and Hopai Puhar, Raymond Smith, Peter Machen, Jeremy Fagg, Mal Cumming and the Bear, Sam Ballinger. Now, there are two changes to, to those seedings to what people had expected or that the field was projected to look like and that's the fact that Luke Littler and Ben Robb have both pulled out of the competition. I had a feeling Ben would end up pulling out, based on what Hope I Puhar discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh hope I was saying that, you know, if you didn't come through those World Series qualifiers in July, the only way you'd get to play in that New Zealand World Series in Hamilton was through the DPNZ Pro Tour. Now, Ben is near the top of those DPNZ rankings at the moment, but the latest DPNZ events clash with the Australian Open. So if he'd missed them and say, you know, the likes of Warren Parry or whatever had dominated, then there was an easy chance that Ben might have missed out. With his lakeside spot already assured, you can't blame him for for making the decision that, you know, serves him. And having spoken to Ben on the pod before, I know how much that World Series means to him and his family. So uh, I look forward to seeing him, you know, playing the DPNZ events this weekend. Hopefully he cleans up. Um, and then his his decision will pay off. Luke Littler, it's not as clear as to to why he's not going to be playing. I know he replied to my tweet the other day, though, and he seemed really disappointed. So a shame for the lad, because it would have been a fantastic experience for him. And, you know, the way he's playing and what he's capable of, he would have been a threat to, to go all the way and win it. In place of Ben and Luke have come in two additional Australian qualifiers. So it's Donovan Lottering, who people saw at the WDF World Championships back in April, And Kai Smith, who played at Alexandra Palace last year, is the son of Raymond Smith. Uh, They joined Darren Carson, Leon Towns, David Platt, Jamie Rundle, Brandon Weaning and Aaron Morrison as the the regional qualifiers, as it were. And then a further eight places will be awarded or determined, should I say, through pre-tournament qualifiers in the two days before the tournament. I'd suspect the likes of Justin Thompson, Stuart Coburn, Laurie Locke, Brodie Kling will probably come through those qualifiers. And that'll make it a really good tournament. The format for the Australian Open, uh, it's best of nine in the group stages. eight groups are three in the men's, four groups are three in the ladies. The men's then goes through to a quarterfinal phase so the group the eight group winners go into the quarterfinals where it's best of 11. The semis are then best of 15 and the final is best of 19. So a longer format than a lot of those players are used to. and uh, the qualifiers Tuesday Wednesday. The competition proper gets underway on Thursday evening with the finals played on Saturday. And then on the Sunday, it'll be the Pacific Masters, uh, which is a silver-graded WF event. And there's a youth event during the week as well. In terms of picking a winner in the men's competition, there are some uh, Australian players who are playing very well. Mal Cummings has been throwing some good stuff of late. Peter Machin as well. Uh, Sam Ballinger is someone who's very much up and coming, doesn't have the experience of some of his fellow Aussies in the field, but he has got really good quality to his game. Same goes for Brandon Weaning. Uh, Aaron Morrison from South Australia, he's a great combination finisher, which is something to watch out for. Jamie Rundle is someone who had a lot of pedigree as a youth, hasn't quite delivered on that as a senior player, as many would have expected, but he's definitely a good player on his day and David Platt is incredibly experienced. My feeling, though, is that the Australian with the best chance of winning the whole thing is Raymond Smith. He's been playing at a ridiculously good level uh, since he sort of came back to top-level darts properly. You know, around this time last year, September of last year, won the North Queensland Classic, and it all sort of snowballed from there for him. He qualified for Ali Pali recently. When he's in the zone, he's very hard to stop, and I think this format will suit him. Uh, I think he's got a very good chance of, of going all the way. And I I predict if it's based on seeding alone, he will be in that final. And he'll probably be in that final against Yella Klaassen. Yella was at the Live League last week, played some really good stuff, played incredibly well to win the Dutch Open earlier this year. And I have a feeling that that 3000 or so euro spend that Yella undertaken to get out there is going to end up paying dividends with a title victory on Saturday. As for the ladies' tournament, as I said, there are 12 players in that. There are four seeded players, Bo Greaves, Kirsty Hutchinson, Makuru Suzuki and Lisa Ashton. Four unseeded but already known qualifiers, uh, Tori Kuish, Amanda Locke, Wendy Harper and Nicole Raynaud. And then there are four additional qualification places to be determined in a couple of days before the main competition in Muama. I haven't seen a full entry list for those qualifiers, but I know Yuki Sakaguchi is coming over from Japan. Desi Mercer's going across from New Zealand. Of the Australian talent, I would think Kim Mitchell is probably a cert to qualify if she goes. She's arguably been the best woman in Australia this year. Obviously, uh, a few people will know she won a DPA event. She became the first woman to win a, a DPA event early this year as well. So Kim Mitchell's been playing some good stuff. So she could easily cause a few surprises if she does come through those qualifiers. In terms of picking a winner in the ladies' competition, the, the obvious favourite has to be Bo Greaves with the fact she's won seven WDF titles this year. Got that world title under her belt, Just you know, regardless of what some helmets might think. You know, she's playing at a very high level, consistently averaging, you know, 80 plus. And I don't know that there's anybody else in the tournament that's been doing that. Lisa's been very solid this year, obviously been very good in the women's series. She's got a couple of wins in the, the World Seniors televised events but didn't look great at the, the women's world match play, it must be said. Didn't look at her best. Now, whether the Australian climate, it being their winter, whether, you know, the tournament she won last time, whether that will suit her, I'm not sure. And she's always dangerous, but I would say that Bo is definitely the favourite. Tori Kewis, she showed at Lakeside that when she gets a run-up at something, she is incredibly dangerous. Kirsty Hutchington, of course, is a very, very capable player although I know she's not been playing as well as she would have liked to uh, of late. And then, you know, you look at Mikuru Suzuki. She threw a couple of 80-plus averages when she won the Japan Open a fortnight ago, but by and large, the averages were high 60s, which I have a feeling, given the way Bo is playing and what Lisa's capable of, that might not be enough. So my pick at this point is is that it's hard to look past Bo making it three from three in platinum WDF events this year. Someone hoping to cause the upset, though, in her first big overseas competition is New Zealand's Nicole Raynaud. Nicole is a winner of two events this year. She's a former youth standout in New Zealand, and she's very, very capable. Uh, She got to the semis of the New Zealand Open just over a week ago, and she recently won the New Zealand Dart Council national singles title as well. We caught up last week to talk about her trip over to Australia, darts being the real family sport uh, in her family, and what she hopes to do in the future, both with her criminology degree and with her darts career. I'm now delighted to be joined by someone who will be playing at the Australian Open next week, Nicole Raino. Nicole, how are you? I'm doing
2: good, thank you, Andrew. How
0: are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good to have you on the show. You're coming off a, a busy New Zealand Dart Council National Championships week. There was a lot of darts, a, a bit of drama as well, but all in all... Uh, probably a successful week for you. How would you assess your, your performances?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was very up and down. I'm still coming to terms with kind of how well it went, really. It can't go much better than it did, <laughs> to be honest. No, I'm really happy with how it went.
0: Tomorrow, your time anyway. You're, you're off from New Zealand to Australia for the Australian Open. How much are you looking forward to that opportunity of, of playing against some of the, the best female players in the world?
2: It's really just a a dream come true for me. I didn't think there was any chance that I was going to qualify for the Australian Open. Um, When it first kind of came out that it was going to happen, and it was this huge opportunity for darts, uh, for women in New Zealand, those two spots. Um, I was sitting down in 10th equal, I think it was, um, so I didn't even think it would be possible to kind of move up those ranks in time um, before the cutoff date. And somehow everything went to plan, got a few wins in, and that was kind of all I had to do was win or it wouldn't happen, and it just did. Um, And I'm just – it's such a great opportunity, and I'm so excited to be, you know, heading over to Australia, getting out of the country first of all, (laughs) Um, and then to to meet and play against these women that I've really just um, looked up to for so many years is just a dream come true.
0: Absolutely. Now, those qualification – places, it came down to the, the last event, you and Desi Mercer, you're playing each other in the final, the winner would qualify for, for the Australian Open, the loser would miss out. Did you know that that game against Desi was the decider for that last place?
2: Yeah, I think we all kind of found out the week before at the, um, the Shot Masters. I still didn't think I had a chance to make it. I thought... Um... We were kind of tossing up the idea of whether we'd go over for the qualifiers. Didn't really have it all clued up in my head, but, um, you know, my mum, my best friend, my manager, (laughs) she had everything all calculated and she said, you know, if you do win, you will get that spot. Um, So it kind of was all or nothing, really. And I think it did play on us a little bit. We all kind of knew that it was that one spot in that one game. There was... The semi-final against Tina Osborne we were tied Uh, so it was kind of the three of us whoever took it would be in in that spot so even I feel like the semi against Tina Osborne was even more nervy because I knew I had to get past her and then win the final as well so it was just a huge day of darts and I I don't know how I pulled it off but I did and I'm (laughs) so grateful.
0: And I, I know a big part of it, this, I've spoken to, to Wendy Harper about this as well, a big part of it is you actually get to leave the country for the first time in, in over two years. But in terms of the playing at the Australian Open, have you set yourself an expectation of you'd like to, to achieve something you know, while you're there? My
2: achievement is just getting to play against these women, getting to make it into this tournament was my huge goal. I'm trying not to set myself many huge expectations just because it's my first time. Some of these ladies have played in it before. They kind of know what to expect. No, I'm just really looking forward to experiencing it all, taking it all in. Yeah, hopefully setting myself up for, you know, next year maybe. We'll see. But yeah, no, no expectations. I'm happy to be the underdog. We'll <laughs> just see what happens.
0: We'll talk about this season, that you know, the rest of the year looking ahead for you in a bit. But I want to Go back to the beginning, really, for you. When was it that you actually got into to darts in the first place?
2: Yes, yeah, so I've been around darts since since I was born. Really, both my parents played, uh, my grandparents played. It's just our family sport. It's what we do to spend time together. I Never really thought I'd you know I'd be sitting at the top, being like, wow, this this has really all happened. Um, but no, I started playing competitively in about. When I was about seven or eight years old we have a really good pipeline for our juniors in New Zealand so we have the New Zealand junior and youth dart championships every year Uh, so I started playing in that around I don't know 2008 I was about eight years old and yeah I feel like I've really started at the bottom Um, I've played through every kind of possible tournament for our juniors onto our youth and then now playing in the ladies darts yeah, it's really special to come, come from the bottom start a junior with, to a youth and then now be playing amongst all these ladies and then <laughs> to be doing pretty well. It's just really special.
0: Is there a moment in the, the early part of your career when you were, you know, 8, nine, ten, whatever, is there a moment at that time you can look back on and that was kind of your first big achievement or your first big success in darts?
2: Yeah, I can still remember. Um, I think the first kind of title... I don't know title you pull call it we have um consolation round in new zealand which is when you don't make you know the main round knockout i remember um playing in the peers in the junior championships i think i would have been about eight or nine and all i remember it was the last week uh we were on double one and i was playing with girls that were like i don't know 12 or 13 and i was only like about eight and we had double one left and of course just Jumped up there, smacked the double one, couldn't even get my darts out of the board. I had to, like, jump to grab them. (laughs) So that kind of sticks in my head, like, wow, I've gone from, you know, picking that double one, having to jump to get my darts out of the board, to, you know, winning the New Zealand singles this week. It's just been pretty incredible.
0: You've touched on her already, and Wendy mentioned it to me recently when I spoke to her. I know your mum is... Your biggest supporter, I've seen you've referred to her on Facebook as your your mummager, you know, she's your mum and your manager. Back in July you and her won a, a ladies' pairs title together, which I suppose that must have been given how important Darts is to your family, that must have been a really special win. Yeah, no, it
1: was amazing.
2: She takes a lot of pressure off me, like she has everything calculated, she sorts all of our travel, all that kind of stuff. She really just gives me the opportunity to turn up and play, which is very nice. Yeah, so to win that title with her, it was really incredible. We had my, my dad and my sister there as well. We don't often travel as a family anymore, but they were both there, so that made it even better. And she, yeah, for her to take, she got the winning double. She pulled me through all day. Like it, A lot of people may think that it's just me, but it's, it was definitely a team effort. She deserved it just as much as I did. No, nah, she, she's incredible.
0: <laughs> oh, brilliant. You know, during the nationals week, it was confirmed that you've been announced for the the senior New Zealand ladies team. But you've played for the the youth New Zealand national teams before, haven't you?
2: Yeah, um, the last time we went over to Australia for for the, like the Oceanic Masters and the big Australian tournament. No, that was very cool getting to play amongst Australians, best. Yeah, it's always such an amazing opportunity to represent your country and I'm always so grateful for those opportunities, especially to, you know, leave the country and represent New Zealand outside of New Zealand.
0: You said there was, you know, there's a good pipeline in New Zealand from the junior level to the the senior level. How did you find the step up from youth to senior darts?
2: It is a big step. I've missed all of the JDC, which is another amazing new development, um, Oh, that makes me feel a little, little bit old that I've been here before JDC. <laughs> but no, it's really amazing. The junior darts in New Zealand, they just get more incredible every year, I think. Some of those players coming through now are very scary, <laughs> the, the way they play and the way they hold themselves. Um, you know, Their sportsmanship, I think, is the most important thing to learn from a young age. And some of those juniors coming through, the way they compose themselves, um, the way they represent their clubs, all that kind of stuff, is the most important thing, and they just do it so well. Um, it's you know, really cool to watch.
0: And you mentioned going over to, to Australia before for the Oceanic Masters. 2019, you won the the Women's Oceanic Masters. You beat Desi Mercer in that final. At, at that point in your career, how important was that win for, for your confidence and your self-belief? That,
2: that was most crazy uh, tournament I've ever played in there was no expectations on me yeah it just all came together on the day and usually you know, the one thing I've always struggled with coming through has been like my nerves as I get further and further along the nerves kind of set in and I start missing doubles or stuff things like that um, so that was kind of my first real confidence boost I'm like no you can do this <laughs> you can hit your doubles when you need to yeah, no, it was, it was really good for my confidence to be like, no, this is something that you can do. You can finish it all the way. And, um, yeah, no choking with that one.
0: <laughs> and how do you feel you're managing the, the nerves now as you've had more experience and you've won more titles in the, the senior game? Yeah, I think that the best thing
2: for my nerves has just been playing these hard games. And um, that's always my advice to other people is the only way to get better, to, to calm your nerves, is to play those really hard scrappy games and I think yeah the more experience I get and the more players I, I play and the more even against the men really helps I guess as well yeah it just really helps to fine-train your game there's no room for nerves if you're just trying to hit that double and get down there so yeah the nerves come and go now they usually start sitting in a little bit closer to the final which is a bit better but yeah just try to keep my focus as much as I can and I, I was really stoked with how my week went this week um yeah no it was really cool to see but I'm not as nervous as I used to get
0: <laughs> that's fantastic to hear and I mean that, talk about that Oceanic Masters win that was 2019 and then not long after that we all ended up you know in lockdown and I know New Zealand's lockdown rules were a lot tighter than ours were in the in the UK during that time were you someone that got into the the online dart scene, or did you try and give Darts a, a rest for a little bit?
2: Um, yeah, that, that was a bit of a disappointment. I felt like I'd kind of just cracked everything and that was the start of something big and then kind of plunge into lockdown for you know nearly two years. it was a bit of a setback, but it meant that I could focus on you know finishing my degree at university. It's probably good timing. Uh, it was a bit to juggle. We got that out of the way but you yeah, know it, it helped me you know get back to basics practice yeah work on a lot of that mental game and yeah no i really enjoyed the online darts i was a bit of a late starter just because i did take a bit of a break you know had to had to figure out university and get all that kind of out of the way but i did really enjoy online darts it brings a whole new level to the game and it's just really really good to be able to Keep playing even though we couldn't um, meet up in person.
0: And I suppose also, you know, in Covid having a very Dart based family I suppose helps as well because at least you've got people at home you could practice with.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, they're they're really great. We always would, you know, check in, have a few calls, have a few games. Um, And my partner's really good for that as well. He's always up for a game um, (laughs) whenever I need one.
0: I mean, you you touch on, you know, going to university then, and I I think it's fair to say there aren't too many dark players who've got university degrees, certainly not in uh, criminology. When you were doing that degree, did you have a vision of, you know, once I've done this, I want to go into work in, you know, a certain field or, or for a certain department or whatever?
2: Yeah, I've always been interested in kind of the justice system and criminology, um, I originally wanted to be a lawyer, but then I realised how much reading they have to do. That doesn't really work with a dart player's schedule, <laughs> so quickly re-evaluated. But no, I'm working for the the government in New Zealand at the moment, and no, they've they've been amazing with my darts, and I'm really I enjoy work, which is always a good thing when you you know love your job. So I get the best of both worlds at the moment. So that's really all you can wish for.
0: Absolutely. That's- to look back, last year, you know, we came out of the, the lockdowns. You were playing the ladies' event. you were playing really well. Came out, won the New Zealand Masters last year, which was your first sort of senior WDF title. Talk to me about that day and that occasion of, of getting over the line and, and beating Wendy 5-4 in that final in Wellington.
2: Yeah, no, that was still one of my favourite darting memories. I mean, it's your first senior title. There's nothing that can really compare um, and to do it in Korirua, which is only about you know 45 minutes from my home, it meant that I had a lot of home support, all my family was there, everyone that supported me since I was a junior was there. It was really special, as I, as I said before. My nerves usually make me choke a little bit, I miss a few doubles, start thinking about it too much, and that did nearly happen. Wendy is just a phenomenal player, and she was able to kind of jump on that and bring it to that last leg. She just is amazing. She always scares me every time we play. Hopefully I'll get over it one day, but she's just such a role model to me. And to get that win over her was so special because, like, she's just such an amazing player. And to finally kind of get over that hurdle and get the first one under the belt, yeah, it did a lot. For me and kind of my confidence, and yeah, that was a good starting point. Absolutely. we went into lockdown a couple of weeks later and to started again. Really, but yeah, that no, was really
0: special. The dart season in New Zealand last year was very short, but towards the end of last year, you signed a, a sponsorship deal with with One Eighty and the Dart Depot. How important was getting that recognition from from two companies in New Zealand?
2: that has been incredible. Um, the way they've supported me in my dart in the last kind of year has just been really special and to kind of get that recognition outside of you know my family my supporters that outside recognition it means a lot and it just shows that I'm going in the right direction I'm doing the right things yeah no it's really cool and they keep me on the right path um, Ben Rob is sponsored by both of those teams as well so he's been a great help good to like kind of ground me we can talk about things we're on the same page with a few things and yeah no it just it makes me feel like i'm heading in the right direction which is you know a good positive
0: oh 100 and i saw that once you'd signed with the 180 in the dark depot you changed your your nickname from from the baby assassin to to renegade why was that that you changed it
2: <laughs> i don't think baby assassin uh, really fits anymore when i'm you know not not a baby anymore. I, I've had that nickname since I was about twelve. <laughs> so I think it was time for a change, time for a bit of a rebrand. But yeah, no, I think I think they're both on par. They both they're working well. It's really cool to start hearing people say, you know, go the renegade, <laughs> playing, which is crazy to me. But no, nah, it's very cool.
0: We'll hear Richard Ashdown announcing you as the renegade at the Australian Open uh, later in the week for you, but. You'll also, as you walk onto the stage, you've, you've got to pick a walk-on song. So what have you gone for?
2: I've gone for The Greatest by 660. Some cool lyrics in there, the New Zealand band, you know, close to home. It's uh, very cool. Um, I never thought I'd be picking a walk-on song. Um, I think I'll be doing well, as long as I don't cry. <laughs> I'll be fine, as long as, you know, all the emotions don't get to me, it'll be sweet.
0: <laughs> oh, Brilliant. And uh, darts, sort of WDF darts in New Zealand came back at the, the start of June and first event of the year was the, the Canterbury Open, which you won, uh, but it wasn't the smoothest weekend for you that weekend, was it?
2: It never seems to be. No, we had to, um, nearly missed our flight from Wellington to Christchurch, that was the first hurdle, you know, they never announced that we were boarding until it was final check-in, <laughs> final boarding call, so we kind of had to race there, that was Nearly, nearly a, a, a bit of an oopsie but it was all good. We made it to Christchurch, picked up our rental car, driving away to the back to our motel to you know get changed to go to dark Notice there's a huge crack through the windscreen, which is not ideal because um, obviously it's like minus two thousand degrees in Christchurch. Um, you know the windscreen was all fogged over, so we didn't really notice straight away. So that. Got a spanner in the works. Had to go sort that out, you know, go play darts. I ended up we ended up being there about fifteen minutes before we started, so it was a quick warm up. But thankfully, everything went smooth after that. <laughs> All went
0: to plan. <laughs> yeah, definitely picked up the the title first to two this year, and your results this year mean that in the regional rankings uh, for New Zealand, you are currently top of the table. You're six points clear of of Wendy Harper. Now, there's still quite a few events left to go before the end of the year, but if you are there at the end of the year, you'd have a place at the World Championship next year. What would that mean to, to come over to the UK or Europe, wherever it's going to be, and uh, get to play in a World Championship?
2: Oh, that would just be huge. I mean, I've been watching those World Championships for my whole life, really. I remember watching them since I was a little kid. So to have the opportunity to maybe play in one of them would just be incredible. Um, would really be kind of the peak of my career so far and probably for years to come as well. Uh,
0: before you go, there's one thing I've got to ask you. is uh, You've got to talk about the time that you fainted in front of Adrian Lewis.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no,
2: that was still probably, you know, the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. That was not my finest moment. <laughs> but Obviously, before, because I've been a that so long, before I, you know, played or was... Un- um, old enough to play, I used to chalk for score, score for everyone, give everyone a break. So that led to a few cool opportunities when some players would come over. So we had Adrian Lewis and Phil Taylor come over for a, an event here in New Zealand, um, and myself and my sister got a huge opportunity to score for those games, which was really cool. <laughs> I was only 15, so I was like, wow, this is just the most amazing thing ever. I think I was too excited, so I didn't really eat or drink. I was just, wow, amazing darts, just score, score, score. And then I didn't really think about, you know, the heat lights, um, no food, no water, huge crowds. It was super hot. And we were talking something like, I don't know, 18 leagues or something. It was play all the leagues um, to a result, whatever the result was. So it was some huge games. Yeah, and I started not feeling it. I had Russ Bray calling. Um, he was looking at me a bit funny, <laughs> and then next thing I know, I'm kind of swaying a bit. And apparently, he caught me. I don't think I smacked my head, luckily. Uh, but yeah, no, not a great one, <laughs> but embarrassing. Um, but it was a bit funny to you know be on the floor out the back and have Adrian Lewis kneeling down next to me, you know, checking that I'm still alive. You know, <laughs> it was great. That was a fond memory. He was a great guy.
0: Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Nicole. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck for the Australian Open and hopefully a successful rest of the year as well. Oh, thank you
2: so much, Andrew. It was about time we got into got this.
0: It was a pleasure speaking to Nicole. She's someone I've wanted to get on the, the show for a while now and she continued the trend of all the Kiwi guests on the podcast being super friendly through the first 100 episodes. Long may that continue. They're a great bunch of uh, guys and girls. Nicole is someone who has got bags of talent. She's clearly got good people behind her in the shape of her mum, a partner, a family, the dancing community in New Zealand, and I think she is someone you're only going to hear more and more about as you know the years progress. And I'm really excited to see her career develop in front of us, really, because I think this Australian Open is going to be the first of many big opportunities for her. She's already qualified for the World Masters. As I said during the interview she's currently the top ranked player in the regional table so there's potential world championship place there for her as well so she's definitely someone on the, the up and up and if you weren't already aware of who she was I would really recommend that you kind of get to grips with her because she's going to be a problem. Nicole and recent guest on the show, Wendy Harper, were the the two main favourites for the recent New Zealand Open, which was the first ever gold event to be played in New Zealand. There were places at the World Championship on the line in the Men's and the Women's Open. Uh, But neither Wendy nor Nicole won it, though, and so there was a new name on the trophy, and that was of Victoria Monaghan. Now, Victoria and her victory... Uh, was a very historic one because she was the first transgender person to win a WDF ranking competition and therefore the first transgender person to qualify for a darts world championship and if she is to come over to play would be the first transgender person to play in a darts world championship. Uh, She won the final 5-4 against Wendy. Now I have to say, my mentions and the mentions for the official WDF Twitter account, which I help post updates on, uh, the mentions of both of those were shocking after I posted the result and the news that she'd won. They were among the worst I've seen, really. The amount of just nasty jokes, ridiculous and deliberately offensive comments, it, you know... it It beggared belief, really, regardless of where you stand on the issue of transgender participation in sport, it is perfectly possible to have a disagreeing opinion without feeling the need to resort to personal insults to that person. I know some people find that concept quite hard to understand, but it's true. By all accounts, uh, you know, from what Nicole was saying to me after we finished recording and uh, from what I've seen on Facebook and so on, Victoria got barracked all day with abuse there was a lot of abuse being heckled at her during the final and i was glad to hear new zealand dark council chairman bob wilson friend of the show call it out on facebook and say that all those people who were shouting abuse if they don't go and apologize they will be subject to a suspension from the nzdc which i'm you know i'm fully behind there are a lot of people who were tweeting saying you know how is this allowed whatever well You know, Bob cleared it up. The rules were followed. The WDF have a transgender policy. Uh, It's on their website. You can go and read it. It essentially says that if you can prove that you are undergoing a medical process and you have been doing so for more than a year, you are eligible to play in the category that is now appropriate to you. Bob said that Victoria had done all of that, had submitted all the forms, therefore she was allowed to play, she was allowed to compete, win the tournament and compete in the World Championship. She has done everything she can. They have done everything they can. And the result is a perfectly fair one. I'm unsure what the IOC stance is. You know, I know there are issues in swimming, uh, but I don't know what the stance is across all sports or, you know, a general stance for the IOC. That might uh, generate some issues because I know the WF took the IOC's lead with regards to the Russian and Belarusian athletes earlier in the year. And in theory, if you're going to follow it once, you should follow it uh, to the letter, I suppose. Uh, but in line with their current regulations, Victoria won it fair and square. I look forward to having Victoria on the pod, and I look forward to seeing her come over for the World Championships next year. Moving on, that the men's New Zealand Open was won by big rig, Ben Robb. He beat Hopai Puha in the final. Both of them are playing so well at the moment. Hopai's been in all the New Zealand Dark Council finals this year. Ben's been in all bar one and the one he wasn't in was when he wasn't in the country because he was playing in the PDC World Cup. Uh, Ben won the the Open final 6-5. Now there's a good chance that New Zealand's qualifier for Ali Pali will be Ben or Hopai but it will be good to see Ben at the WDF World Championship if that's the way it goes because he's a great talent and a great bloke but You know, it'll be great to see Hopi as well. They're both well positioned on the regional table. Hopi is playing really well this year. And I think that after the disappointment of the last two stage performances, I think he's ready to deliver a big performance. It's what he said on the pod last time. And I've got a good feeling that he'll be able to, regardless of of which world championship he's in, because I think at this stage, it's a pretty fair assumption he'll be in one of them. Uh, And the same goes for, for Ben. The other events to take place since I last recorded, the first was the the Europe Youth Cup. I was pleased to see I went two out of two on my predictions for the singles with Luke Littler and Italy's Aurora Focusato. Okay, they weren't the boldest predictions in the world, but it's always nice to see them come together. I usually miss more than I hit, so the hits have to be celebrated. Uh, There was also the Japan Open weekend in Tokyo. Now, I wasn't expecting to see Paul Lim in action, but I was pleased I did. It was good match preparation for him ahead of a few key months PDC-wise. And he looked like much more of his old self. I think it's fair to say that Paul Lim's been poor on TV recently. He wasn't very good at the PDC Worlds last year when he played Joe Mernon. And he hasn't been great at the Seniors events this year. And there was a feeling for me watching him that age was finally catching up with the man who previously had been the ageless Marvel but in Tokyo, he, he looks more like his old self. There were 400-plus averages during the weekend and a lot of 90-plus ones as well. Very pleased to see him playing that well. Uh, based on his you know, Facebook posts and so on, he seems very keen to play in the World Masters later this year, which will be a cool one to see. And yeah, it's just nice. Nice to see a fresh face, as it were, playing in those Japanese events. Uh, it remains to be seen whether there will be more Asian events before the end of the year, because as things stand... There aren't going to be enough to meet the WDF's rules uh, for uh, participation in the World Championship. You know, their rules say that a region needs five in a calendar year to generate world's places. Asia's only had three at the moment. And with the Asia-Pacific Cup uh, later this year being postponed, I'm not sure where they're going to slot them in. Fingers crossed they do, because as things stand, Paul Lim would be due for a World Championship return on the WDF side. Uh, But, you know... As I say, it remains to be seen. Jury's out on that one. Uh, the women's title winners, Mayumi Uchi won the first one and then Mikuru Suzuki won the Japan Open on the Sunday, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show. But all that talk about World Championships brings me on to the third guest on this week's show. He's a man hoping to seal a world's return in the coming months, and that's Scotland's Sean McDonald. Uh, as it's episode 100, I had to get on a guest who... Uh, meant something to the show and uh, Sean is very much someone in that category he got signed with Big Five Sports Management last year because of the interview he did on the pod after playing at Q School after 10 years away Uh, so I very much wanted to catch up with him last week we did it was a lovely chat as you'll hear now but I wasn't quite expecting him to come with questions prepared for me though I'm now delighted to be joined by the Punisher Sean McDonald Sean how are you Good, Andrew. Thanks. How was yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Nice to have you on episode 100. Uh, We spoke last on the podcast December of last year. We did sort of a a deep dive into your your comeback here and we were looking ahead to you making your Lakeside debut and then soon after that, the World Championships got pushed back. What was your reaction to the news?
3: Uh, Well, first of all, congratulations on 100 episodes. It's a bit of of an achievement and a milestone for you. So I'm sure you're chuffed about that. Yeah, Lakeside Moving, I think back at the time, was a bit of a surprise. I don't think any of us expected it. We didn't get wind of it beforehand. But, you know, once you read into the reasoning for it, you understood thinking back then and where we were with COVID. um, Phase two, phase three, whatever it was. You know, ticket sales hadn't been great to that point, so I think you understood it. Um, where it kind of went a bit into question was around Q School. If you won, if you won a card at Q School, it looked like at that point you wouldn't be able to play. So, um, yeah, I guess you had that to deal with. That you were still going to go to Q School, still going to, still going to try your best. But in the back of your mind, you knew that. If you were successful, you were going to be given given that place up, or so we thought at that point. You know.
0: Fast forward to to April. You're the first game of the Sunday evening session. On that day, you played your game. How were you feeling in the, in the build up?
3: In the build up, I was uh, I was feeling good. Um, I'd played. Um, I'd been there the day before. I'd practiced a, a lot the day before had a couple of games against Francesco Raccini. Um Both of us were warming up for the Sunday, so preparation was good. Form was kind of starting to come back. I hadn't had a great start to the year, um, to be honest. But uh, it was coming. I could see it coming, and it was kind of going in quite calm, quite relaxed, quite confident that, that I'd go up there and, and perform. Um, so, yeah, by the time... A couple of hours before then, and practicing in the room and stuff. You know, I, I did feel good, yeah.
0: And you certainly started well in the game. You won the first set three 0 You were you were flying, and then you had the break between the first set and the second. How much did you feel the break affected you?
3: Didn't affect me at all. Nah, no no excuses there. Um, I came out and went one eighty, eighty four, one eighty, and not taking out the fifty seven and six darts. I think completely swung. The momentum of the game, but added to the fact they've started playing a lot better. Nah, but I'm not. Not looking for excuses in, in the break itself. Um, those new things you need to learn. If you're going to play at that level, you're going to play. Um, you know, on stage, on the biggest stage of all. Then you're playing on TV. There's going to be a, there's going to be breaks for adverts, and you're just going to have to get used to it. Same for everyone.
0: After the game, I know you were you were very disappointed. Did the the disappointment in the the defeat did that stay with you for a while, or were you able to to move on from it quite quickly? Uh, uh, yeah, I was
3: a bit, a bit of both, a bit of both. I think you're always when you're competitive, you you want to win, and and when you don't, it obviously hurts for a bit. But I'm I'm not really one to to get too high or too low, Andrew. As you know, so. Um, plenty of other things to keep me occupied and and not get too hung up over a game of darts but yeah it was uh, it it stung for a wee bit
0: And I know you're someone that's very analytical in the way you approach the game that's something we've discussed before so did you watch the game back?
3: Yeah a few times yeah 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 Um, which is why you know I've got I, I can clearly spot where I think the momentum swung um, but even then even in the last set I think you know one each um, I've bust the 86 and I, and I came back for another visit you know if I go and hold that and go 2-1 up ifs and buts you're you're still you've still got a handle in the game rather than you're chasing that last leg um, against the throw so yeah I've watched it back I've analysed it what I like to do is same in the live league where I was kind of listening to Chris Mason and Paul Nicholson listening to Tony O'Shea, you know, you're, you're looking out for these people that have been there and done it and and kind of almost indirectly listening for advice for sending anything they spot that might be good or bad then you can pick these little tips up.
0: Now you said that you didn't have the strongest start to the year I want to roll back to, to January and Q School you had quite a slow start on the first couple of days of that last phase what do you think was the the, the main factor behind that slow start?
3: No idea. No idea. I went down there practicing really well. First game was really poor. And then day two, day two, I actually started well. And then, um, you know, another average performance came in against Mark McGinney in the second match. Um, In terms of performance, obviously, I really did pick up from then, but no idea why I started so slowly
0: when you played in Q School last year after coming back from a long time away i don't you know people weren't necessarily expecting a lot of you a lot of people didn't necessarily know who you were going into the 2022 Q School obviously it was a very different optic you'd done well in the live league you'd you know done well on the challenge tour just missed out on the tour card that way qualified for lakeside so people knew who you were and when you saw people putting their list together of who they thought would get a card your name was often on there Did you feel that greater sense of expectation, you know, personally, going into key score? Nah, Nah, not at all.
3: You start getting drawn into that. You know, you're you're probably on a hide into nothing. I think um, at this level you see so many players, you know, rise and fall at different times. Everyone can be everyone. There's no one... No one in that room who, you know, is even a favourite. Obviously, people fancy different players, but um, you know, there was nothing, nothing I felt differently going into. I just uh, I was more confident, obviously, with my results, but no extra expectation. I think um, a couple of a couple of bits of the local press kind of alluded to that that I was going in with quite an open mind at the Lakeside and. And I'd already qualified for UK Open on on the fallback. If I didn't make it, I wasn't putting myself under any pressure. So there's nothing. Even if the perception outside was different, there was no no different approach from me.
0: Post Q School, there was a Challenge Tour block soon after that. You weren't in that block, and you've not played the Challenge Tour since this year. Why did you opt to give that a miss in 2022? It just didn't fit with my personal and work calendar. I'm afraid uh,
3: the one. You know, being off for Q school, then Challenge Tour being immediately after it was going to be difficult. But I had other things, personal things, booked over where the Challenge Tour, uh, Challenge Tour dates fell. And with the strength and depth in, uh, in Challenge Tour, I just didn't think going to any events was worthwhile when I knew I was going to miss a minimum of nine. I don't think you can qualify, you can be top two um, if you play 15 out of 24. So, therefore, for this season, by not winning a card, I sat down with Paul and discussed it. And uh, we thought that putting what I had available onto the, the focus on WDF was the best option this season.
0: Hmm. Last season, you, you only played a couple of the, the WDF events, but you've done a fair bit more this year, as you say. You went to Hungary, Denmark, whatever. How have you found sort of, seeing a broader experience of those events?
3: i'd like to have liked, done better in them um i think uh i've just started playing well um which has been frustrating um i've had it going in patches but uh you know not been consistent enough to to get as far as i would have liked certain tournaments i've i've had my chances um but uh yeah no, i've enjoyed i've enjoyed the traveling to these different places that I haven't been before. Tournaments in general have been have been well run. Some are better than others. You're gonna get that everywhere when you're dealing with different countries and different organisations. But um no, it's been it's been good, it's been enjoyable. They're quite difficult to manage when you're flying all the time and, and you've got a busy busy schedule elsewhere, so for example, I, I like to try and leave as late as I can on the Friday and, and come back out as early as possible on the Monday, and sometimes that's difficult. Um, so yeah, different challenges and experiences. But I think if I can just, if I can just continue the form that I've recently shown and, and kick on a bit, then I think the second half of the year might be a bit more enjoyable than the first.
0: I was going to say you've talked about being sort of you know your C game. I think you said it was was in Romania and and earlier in the year when you said you played at the UK Open, it was your first time there in fifteen years. You said that you hadn't played any competitive darts since Q school. So in the first part of the year, where it was quite staccato in terms of events. Did you feel a little bit rusty at times?
3: Yeah, definitely. The um, the best competitive practice I got in the first part of the year was in the house where we all stayed at Q School after we'd all lost on the first day (laughs) so that just kind of tells you how little uh, competitive play I'd I'd had obviously that affects you of course it does Um, and probably there's a there's a little recurring theme that um, Denmark probably being the exception but recently Romania day two was better than day one English day two was better than day one I think just because I'm, I've had a day before where I've had a bit of competitive play and been away from everything else just that little bit longer and then I seem to see play better on the Sunday That's, I think that, that lines up with what you're, what you're asking there
0: hmm. yeah definitely um, that was something I'd, I'd noticed as well um, but something I have got to ask you about the, the WDF tour you're still very annoyed about the best of five games in the early rounds it just shouldn't happen
3: just shouldn't happen. I hope they listen because every every player wants a minimum of seven. Every player would want more. Would want a longer game. And the old reasons for it are no longer valid because let's let's take the the, the English Open, which is the most recent one I've been um, I've been at. They were able to play a mixed fours event after stopping the singles at the semi-final stage. Now, they played that event Best of Seven from the start, but the fact that they're using a computerised system speeds the whole thing up. But there's no need for it. The Open was done by 7 o'clock at night. I think it was four or 500 entrants in it. So, they played Best of Seven from the start as well this year because the numbers were lower than usual. Just you can't be asking people to travel all over, all over the world for for best of five. Um, it's not not when it's knockout, straight knockout. It's just it's too short. Everyone wants longer. Um, I think best of seven. If it's a time issue and we're starting best of seven, let's get best of nine and best of 11s in earlier in the event. Um, you know, if events were dragging on. Then granted but I haven't there's not been an event I've been at that's dragged on ridiculously late yet so why are we still why are we still flirting with this best of five early on so yeah there you go
0: <laughs> no I mean I, I definitely agree with you and this is something I have mentioned to them in the past to to sort of wrap up where you are with the, the WDF stuff then Romania you said was your C game and you got to a quarter final and lost that one 4-3 uh, how far away do you think you are from your A game then?
3: It, it probably came out on sun, on the Sunday at the English had a tough run where uh, I played Liam Meek last 64 and then uh, obviously the, the two names that stand out in that run are James Huddle in the last 16 and then Chris Lamb in the last 8 but not just because of who I beat it's how I had to play to beat them um, there were really good games and um, yeah, there was definitely signs there that I could put it all together over a, a full match as opposed to bits and bobs. So it's obviously not quite there because I, I missed a hell of a lot of doubles against Scott Marsh in the semis. Um, so it did tail off again, but certainly signs that it's not far away.
0: And I know the uh, the England weekend was very, very warm and I saw on Twitter that you were trying to cool your feet down. Between games? I kid you not, I went back to the chalet and ran a a cold bath
3: and steeped my my feet and my ankles because I was baking hot. And um, no disrespect to anyone who is of larger size, I ain't the biggest. So if (laughs) I was sweating, um, how were some others struggling with it? Obviously, you can't put aircon on. Not that that venue's got aircon, I don't think. But (laughs) you can't put aircon on. It was the same in Romania can't put Erkan on because blows are dark so when the heat's up it's it's tough Romania was like 32, 33 outside I think England was about the same I was going outside outside and standing in shade to try and cool down it was cooler than inside the venue Um, yeah it was I can't tell you I'm surprised no one passed out Andrew was that bad <laughs> um, some of the other players were obviously they've voiced their opinions about it as well but it was brutally
0: hot yeah, I was going to say that the, the venue for England obviously this year was different they went back to, to Breen Sands and I've seen a lot of frustration some of them more strongly worded than others what did you make of the venue the, the, the playing conditions and I know that the scoreboards as well were above your head when you were playing
3: I score, scoreboards above your head and I, and I think that's a huge issue um, I think if you look at big state, well, if you take lakeside stage, scoreboards, miles to your left, take Halle holly-pally, players tend to look up at the big screens sometimes rather than the written board, because maybe the referee's blocking the board to your right or whatever. So I don't, I don't, think, I don't think there's a problem there. Um, it was the size and the heat that was the biggest factors for me. The um, venue was far too small. The number of people in there, you know, I think they had a, a, a pretty late cancellation, didn't they, from um, Celsius, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully it's just a temporary um, adjustment and they'll get something better next year. But um, the boards and the setup and all that were, were, were fine. The system itself was decent. What it didn't have was dark connects. Ability to um, to mark like a player as opposed to mark like a marker. What I mean by that is the system they're using, you have to add everything up, punch the scoring. Whereas if you're a player and you're marking, or I certainly do, I tend to subtract like the player would. Hmm. So I know the player's got 32 left. I haven't counted that he scored 89, but you have to count what he scored or obviously subtract it from the total score and punch in 89 whereas um, obviously in dark connect you can just go 32 and, and hit the, the top number to, to tell it's 32 left mm-hmm. um, so there's a bit of a delay from some players in that aspect and then if you made a mistake it was quite difficult to, to correct it um, but I mean it's way better than chalk or um, pen or whatever else uh, some other places use so Again, I wouldn't be too critical of that. It was just the, the size of the venue and the, and the heat that that, that that generated was um, a bit uncomfortable.
0: Back in June, you signed with Mission Darts, but I was a bit intrigued by that because you, know, you had the, the customary photo now with, with Daryl Fitton, but you know when we were in Ireland last year, you, you had the Mission sticker on your shirt, I believe, and I was pretty sure you did it at Lakeside as well. So how long had that, that deal been in the pipeline?
3: I actually, yeah, signed with them in October or November, officially, but um, I'd never managed to fit it into my schedule to go down and see them, um, so they'd made, they'd made my dart, um, which came through and I've just asked for a couple of alterations, so the second version of my dart is now, uh, it's been made, it's just stuck in them. Um, in China because I think that region is still in lockdown Um, and obviously they did my shirt uh, in time for Lakeside etc so the PR piece um, that came out in June was just basically because I'd gone down and and, um, seen the whole place and and met everyone that I need to meet and and officially signed in person um, and did all the, the the photo stuff and interview and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was signed from November, and we just hadn't got to the PR bit until until now.
0: Mm, nice one. And how have, how have Mission been to, to work with since you, you signed up with them?
3: Oh, it's yeah, re- really really helpful. Um, basically, <laughs> they, 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 even though I was you know I was a six hour drive for me, you know they said oh just make sure you drive down and so you can fill your boot on the way out, you know, um, whatever you need, we can provide so they being so good from from that point of view. And also just having, like, a network of people who, you know, know that side of the game inside out. It's nice to have, it, obviously, that the player's rep who, who has all the experience in the world. Um, but also, like, if I want to, if I want to, Call Steve and discuss a a tweak to my dart, my flight, you know, the aerodynamics, how how they're flying through the air, anything like that. It's just great to have someone um, or a team of people at the end of the phone, you know. Back back when I played before, if you wanted to make a tweak, you just bought a whole load of set of darts, flights, stems, different stuff, and you just basically tried everything out, which probably isn't that helpful. You're changing too much. So, um, no it's 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 nice to 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 be able to discuss that with with people who are specialists in in that particular area
0: and in terms of moving from the first gen of your darts to the 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 second one what's the the basic setup that you've got and what of the what are the tweaks that you've made if you can share them
3: yeah the the ones that i posted online um last year that they made uh the look and feel of them was lovely the the colors are fantastic um I just felt that they had a little bit too much grip on them for me. That was it. So um, they've been slightly modified and, and the grip's been reduced um, and they'll be hopefully getting to me soon. So I can uh, I can try them out. But they're not, not too dissimilar in terms of shape, size, um, ring position to my current dart. Um, they just look a lot nicer. They've obviously got the signature. Uh, mission logo, they've got my name on them. Yeah, they're just they, they're just modified in a in a mission way as opposed to another manufacturer. So um, yeah, if they if they, I'm dying to get my hands on them as as you can imagine. Um, and then hopefully they fly well, and and we'll and we'll go with them moving forward.
0: Now looking ahead towards the the back half of the year, I think you're seventeenth in the. WDF rankings at the moment, um, or at least certainly around the top twenty. What are you? What's the goal for you f- for the rest of this year? Mm,
3: wouldn't wouldn't ever go that long term. It's not in my nature. Um, I've got Sweden boot, which is two silvers in August, and then I'm planning to do the uh, the British and English back to back in September. Um, I'll probably take a few after that, um, I won't look too far ahead so depending on my results at those events will kind of dictate how busy my schedule is for the rest of the year, as long as I can fit it in of course. So no, 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 no obviously I want to qualify for Lakeside, that, that's a given, um, but that's probably the only aim at this point, no, no other real targets.
0: And uh, one one last thing from me. I know you said you've got a couple of questions for me, but the last one from me. I know you're a, a Cove Rangers fan. They're getting ready for their first season in the Scottish Championship. How do you think they'll get on?
3: Uh, well, it's interesting that you've asked me that, Andrew, because uh, the director of football is just sitting across from me in the office. Um, <laughs> so it's, I'm under pressure to so say they'll do well. Um, but knowing knowing what John Sheridan's told me, I think if Cole finish eighth, they'll uh, they'll see that as a success. So there you go. I'll go for eighth place.
0: Okay. now no. no uh, I was going to say there's not going to be some big bold prediction that they're going to do better than uh, our broth that would cause issues in the Big Five camp.
3: Oh, uh, no no no. I can't I can't get involved in that. I mean, Suits is it's try to make everyone in a broth fan. But um, he tells me he's going to invite me to our Broth Cove corporate, so it's now on record that we can hold on to that. I think he should invite you as well.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, well, I would definitely come up. So uh, there you <laughs> go. The invitation is open, Mr. Seater. Uh, but yes, you said you had questions for me, sir.
3: I do. Well, since it's your 100th episode, I think it's only fair that um, we got to fire some questions back at you. So I've got three, if that's OK.
0: <laughs> yeah, fire away.
3: So, based on the data, because I know you're you're good on your data and how many listens um, each podcast has had, which one of the ninety nine has been most popular?
0: Oh, okay. Well, so this is the thing: the most downloaded episode I've ever had is not one of the sort of weekly ninety nine that have been so far. Uh, it was when we were in the deepest, darkest days of the first lockdown. And uh, I was doing a legend series, and I spoke to Richie Burnett, and he opened up about uh, his drug ban from the BDC, uh, He spoke about thinking he'd been spiked in the world championship final, um, and then spoke about you know when he got the drug ban, you know how, how suicidal he felt and his dark thoughts, and then that got picked up by all the Welsh media and so on.
3: Ah, that's uh, very interesting, indeed. Um... And, and also a good uh, wide berth there uh, that you didn't want to answer, one of your 99. We've we, 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 we spotted that, Andrew. Um, number two, for you, most enjoyable
0: podcast? Ooh. Um, I think it was probably the one I did, uh, I think it was September of last year, when I spoke to, in the same episode, uh, Raymond Smith from Australia, because he, like yourself, is a very deep thinker about the game. Um, so it was great to be able to try and pick uh, Ray's brain and then to see what he went on to do at Ali Pali and what he's done this year as well. Um, he's just a really nice guy. So that was fun. In the same episode, I spoke to John Emory, who spoke all about coming over from the Faroe Islands to, to Scotland, kicking about my old neck of the woods in St Andrews. And then also, you know, he's, he's sort of the number of years he spent as homeless um, and telling me that he, you know, once tried to shave his face with a broken bottle and stuff, which was just. A wild thing to to listen to. So I think those two in the same week was really good, and I got a shout out from Dan Dawson as well, so I must have done something right.
3: (laughs) I did enjoy that episode myself. Okay, the last one, you ready? Yeah. Which episode have you had to do the most editing with?
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I can pick a recent one out with that. Uh, So I interviewed a lovely chap called Wayne Dobinson who's organising the Andy Fordham Memorial Tournament in October of this year which I'll be playing in and he told a story in there about uh, Paula Jacqueline at the O2 uh, which I initially included because I thought it was really funny but then I felt that I probably should take out but I didn't make that decision until I was about to upload the podcast which then meant I had to go in and have a rummage and cut out like six minutes of it and then re-record some of the stuff I'd done so that one recently I think because I was like "Eh, I maybe don't want to do it but then she ended up DMing me anyway that she had an objection with something else he'd said so maybe I should have just left it in and given her more to moan about (laughs) I think you should
3: release uh, Andrew's first 100 unedited I think that would be give us you know like a an outtake all the bits you've taken out, shove them all together, and put it in a bonus episode, then it can be. I'll get quite a lot of downloads, I think.
0: <laughs> like a version of you've been framed. Uh, <laughs> but no, thank you for those questions. It was nice being being put on the spot for a change. Um, thank you very much for your time, Sean. I always appreciate it, and hopefully, uh, see you in person at an event very soon.
3: Yeah, I'll be good. Thanks, Andrew. Take care.
0: It was great chatting with. Sean, you know, for my money, he's one of the best minds in the sport and he's someone I could chat darts with for hours, as we actually ended up doing uh, last week. Sean won't be in action this weekend, though. He's on holiday with his family. Uh, But a lot of the top WDF players are not just in Australia, but there's the Antwerp and Belgian Open weekend. There are more than 400 entries in the men's competition, and almost 80 in the women's. So it's a good turnout, especially for two silvers. In the men's tournament, the the seeded players, it's a very strong set of seeds. You've got James Harrell at the top, Andy Bartons, Martin Turner, who got to another seniors final The uh, weekend just gone, Patrick Kovac from Hungary, so won three titles this year and appears to be really improving. Uh, Jordan Brooks through 100 average this past weekend in Super League. Lajlo Kadar, as I'm sure regular listeners will know, is a favourite of mine. Alexander Merckx, vastly improving player as well. Quick Dutchman, he was on the show very recently. Another quick Dutchman in the shape of Chris Landman. Uh, Mark Graham, who won the Cheshire Open not that long ago. And Belgian international John Desremo, who didn't give the best account of himself at Lakeside earlier in the year, but he's definitely very, very capable. Um, And I know he's been playing some good stuff domestically, in Belgium, so it's good to see him back at a WDF event. Uh, but it's in the, the unseeded players is where it, the depth of this tournament sh- uh, really shines through. You've got Dave Pallet, who of course just won on the Challenge Tour, won the England Open. He just misses out on being a seed. You've got Nick Kenny, who's technically defending a, a title this weekend. You've got Greg Ritchie from Scotland, who's had a number of solid results this year. Uh, the talented Swiss player, Thomas Junghans. Terry Jenkins is a fun name on there. His son Graham's playing as well. Ryan De Vrede, Justin Van John Jean Van Veen, who's been playing very well in the live league, Denny O'Dekalter, Calter, Ronnie Hybricks, And then, you know, beyond that, you've got Dutch national team players like Christian de Boer, Owen Roloffs, and Wesley Playser. So it's a very, very strong field. You know, realistically, you could pick any number of players to win because I think the draws are going to be brutal, especially early on. And I think it's going to be someone who gets a favourable quarter, uh, you know, they'll end up having a really good run. So my feeling is uh, Wesley Plasia wins one of them. I think he's one of the best players without a tour card at the moment. So I think he wins one of the titles here. And then I'll go with Martin Turner for end of the show. I think he wins one of the other ones. The women's tournaments feel very open with no bow and no Kirsty. Uh Lorraine Wynne-Stanley's playing some really good stuff of late. I think her results have gone under the radar a bit, but she's been playing some good stuff. And I think she's going to string it together in Belgium, and I think she's going to win a title for the first time in a little while. And then the other one, uh, I don't know. I could see Lorraine in both of them. You know, I think Dieter Hedman could find some form this weekend. I think Joe Clements, Suzanne Smith are always there or thereabouts. Uh, but I'll, I'll pick another name to watch, and I'll say Germany's Irina Armstrong. She doesn't play a lot of the tour anymore, but she's very, very dangerous and had a very good run at Dutch Open earlier in the year. So I think Irina, uh, no one's going to want to draw her. Let's put it that way. She's a very tough opponent. She's a very good player. This feels like a set of events primed for her to have a very deep run and maybe win something. So I'd say Lorraine and, and Irina are the ones to watch in, <clears throat> in Belgium. Uh, but that's a look ahead to the, the action um, and that brings me on to the final section of the show which is uh, a number of listener questions which you guys were kind enough to submit on Twitter uh, earlier today so first up there's a, a number of questions uh, from at Longooster on Twitter lovely chap, spoke to him at the Lakeside he bought me a lemonade which I do apologise I didn't fully drink uh, I had to go back to the, the press room Um, which makes me sound like a massive nerd. Uh, But either way, thank you very much, and uh, next time I see you, I will definitely shout you a pint of something a little bit stronger. First question, who do I think will be the next English world champion on the WDF side? Um, It would be a massive cop-out for me to just say Bo Greaves, because I think at the moment, you look at the Women's World Championship next year, I I think she probably wins it again. Uh, In terms of a new face, though... um, that's where it gets a little bit tougher, because I think you look at the men's rankings, uh, James Hurrell's a very good player, but do I see him as a potential world champion at this stage? Probably not. Uh, do I think that Luke Littler is capable? Yes. Do I think he's ready again? Probably not. The poor lad's only 15. I will say Bo as a massive cop-out, but if you're looking for for a different name, on the English side, the guys who are almost certain going to be at the World Championship next year, wherever it ends up being held, you know what? I'll say James Richardson because I think top game wise, I think he's you know there or thereabouts. And of all the English contingent, I think he's probably got the strongest game there. Um, you know, he's on this health kick. I think he's going to be in very good shape by the time the World Championship comes around. He's playing darts on a regular basis. So, yeah, I think he might be the person, but I would say the next English World Champion, if we're going to take it literally, would be Bo Greaves. Um, if I could pick any player, past or present, as a pairs partner, who would it be? The simple answer to that is the man that got me into darts, uh, the man who remains my darting hero, it's Martin Adams. You know, that the the chance to play a game of pairs with him, I think i would think be on my Mount Rushmore of life events if I got to play pairs with Wolfie. The chances of that are very slim, but, you know, I'll stick it out there. Next question. How do I think the WDF board are doing so far and what improvements would I make? I think something that's important to recognise is something Neil Duff said in the interview, and that was that they've not had a full financial year yet. And the financial element is always going to be the thing that's going to hurt, for want of a better word, an amateur diet and organisation. Because at the moment, the WDF are essentially relying on sanctioning fees from the national federations. And technically, we're not out of this pandemic yet. Some federations haven't got started yet. Event turnouts are generally lower than would be expected or they were in the past. So those sanctioning fees probably aren't where they would want them to be. Um, But they can't just rely on that. You know, they have to build revenue streams and building revenue streams through advertising it, it's almost a cycle you need to have the world championship to prove that you are a going concern and to attract sponsorship but you can't really run a world championship without that sponsorship in the first place so it is a difficult situation and I think in that respect they are doing a good job because I think the world championship was a success uh, it was a good tournament slow start but good tournament in the end two good world champions uh, I thought it was well received by Eurosport I thought it was well received by the people that were there by the darting community um, and they showed that they can do it and that they're ready to do it again next year some people didn't like the fact the fields were bigger for me personally i do i think the ethos of the world darts federation is making the game global and bigger fields means more global representation so that's always going to be a win for me and these regions and these players are only going to get better this is an analogy i've used many times over the 100 episodes a rising tide lifts all boats you know, you're only going to get better if you're playing against better opposition and better opposition worldwide means a better standard of the sport overall. And that's for both PDC and the WDF. So I think they are doing a good job in that respect, but there's still a long way to go. You know, they need to run the World Masters and, you know, that World Masters needs to be on television. It needs to have a good television deal. Uh, they need, you know, realistically, with the start of August now, they need to actually confirm where next year's World Championship is. Is going to be was suspected it was going to be at lakeside i've heard some things that it it won't be at lakeside i don't know what what the, the crack is so yeah i think they are doing a very good job uh I, I think it was a hard job an unenviable job but of course you would like more but i think you know ultimately the more is more events on television it's more prize money it's it's you know more money to be able to invest in full-time social teams where you have a social media team that can run video clips that can run interviews with players that can do the things that the pdc do and realistically that money isn't there or at least it's not there yet um i think they are switched on they are speaking to the right people they are trying to get the right people involved Uh, and i would say that you know under richard and, and nick's leadership i think that the big events are in safe hands probably quite a rambly answer that one but hopefully it answers the question are there any additional tournaments or different games I would like to see i.e cricket or a pairs world championship I don't think so I think within the WDF confines I think the WF Cups or so the Europe Cup the World Cup the regional cups I think they appeal to me an awful lot I think the team events are brilliant I love the one leg on one leg off uh, you know reminds me of those old games down the pub you know it was like one leg on you know winner stays on. I love those. You get the pairs within that, and you get the singles. So for me, um, the WDF Cup serve my need for different formats. But for me, I'm I'm fairly happy with a standard bit of five o one of a decent standard. Um, would I keep the World Championships at Lakeside? From a pure nostalgia point of view, I love the venue. I I love. The history of the place and you know for me it holds a lot of sentimental value because it's it was that venue that tournament that got me into darts in the first place um but i don't i think you can still hold it there i think that the seniors event and i think the wdf event have proved that you can still run top level darts events at lakeside however i would say that the wdf can't do that if they are stuck with the pricing that they were this year because people just aren't going to pay it. Regardless of whether the brand is new or not, the faces are new or not, people just aren't going to pay those prices. So unless you can change those ticket prices, I would say possibly no. If you can change those prices, then yeah, stay there, totally. I don't think there's a better venue in the UK uh, for that tournament uh, with that history than Lakeside. But if you can't, then I think you have to look at something that's a bit more practical. And if you've got to look for something that's a bit more practical, I think you might want to look outside the UK. I think maybe you take it to the Netherlands where there is probably more sponsorship available. There is probably more support available from the NDB. You know, they run tournaments very well and they've got a venue that's perfect for it in De Bonte Veve in Assen. So um, if the World Masters is a success there, maybe you do the World Championship there. But if if you do the World Masters there do you do the world championship there? You know, is it is it sensible to do the two big events in the same venue barely a month apart? I don't know. Um, but uh, if I had my way, yeah, of course it would stay at the Lakeside, but, you know, they have to make the right business decision and that might not be Lakeside moving forward. Especially if, you know, Bob Potter's always been a big supporter of the darts. I know some of his family aren't. So if, if Bob's not around anymore, maybe Lakeside's not even an option. So... And then the last one uh, from Longusta is, uh, will you ever bring back the Masters of the World Series? Uh, good question. I enjoyed it at the time, uh, but I think that was a byproduct of COVID and there not being a lot of darts on. So me looking for, for interesting people to speak to, perhaps none more so than Tony West. You know, if, if the opportunity arises to speak to more of those World Masters winners, then then absolutely, there are a lot of interesting people on that list. You know, and Eric Claris, for example, is someone I'd love to speak to. But uh, at the moment, no specific plans. But if the right person arises, the right opportunity arises, then absolutely. Yeah. Moving on, a couple of questions from good friend of the show, Alex Moss, at the Weekly Dancecast. Uh, What was my funniest moment from Lakeside 2022? Um, there's a couple here. One related to the second question. So I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the first one, and this is something that uh, Alex will appreciate and probably no one else will. Will be. Uh, we were coming out of the bar uh, in the Lakeside Hotel and we had a rather strange encounter with Mr John Rawling at the bottom of the stairs. Uh, he seemed to have lost his room key but also seemed unable to quite articulate what had gone wrong. So kind of looked very confused at both of us, said a, a jumbled stramash of words that didn't make a lot of sense and then just sort of wumbled off in a world of his own and we both stood there chuckling so... Uh, yes, Alex, that was probably the funniest. The other one was uh, when Alex and I played our game, the Darts Podcast World Championship. We played that on the Friday. Martin Adams turned around to watch our game, uh, realised that we clearly weren't part of the World Championship field and turned back to the bar to enjoy his pint, which, uh, you know, I felt like my hero had looked at me, seen that like I was a wally, and turned around, which was quite sad. And then Justin Thompson walked over, stopped me, uh, told me that I was throwing them all over the bloody place, and uh, then walked away. And so, yeah, that was very funny. And in answer to your second question, Alex, yes, I am still throwing them all over the bloody place. Uh, not throwing very good darts in a while now. Uh, but I will be practising for the Viking Cup in October, don't you worry. Next question is from Nathan Prince, son of the Badger, Dave Prince. Lovely chap is Nathan. He says, congratulations on the 100 Club, mate. Would you still sit next to me at Lakeside or would you choose your seat more carefully next time? uh yeah so nathan and i sat together for dave's game with mark graham this year um and uh, nathan was uh he'd had a few shandies i'll put it that way uh it was a lot of singing about the welsh going home and the english being back he was very friendly very jovial absolutely mate i would sit next to you next time it was a good laugh i had a lot of fun and uh, next time i'll join you for a pint rather than sitting there with me uh me j20 and then penultimate questions, uh, last but by no means least, are from good friend of the show, Steve Holmes. Steve says, "What is your favourite moment from all of your episodes?" Whew, gosh, uh, I think getting a message from Steve to say that they were interested in signing Sean McDonald was a pretty cool one. Uh, it's definitely among my favourites. Um, I think, but I think that probably ain't probably my favourite moment was probably when I spoke to Tony West and I said to him as I've said to many players on this podcast how did you get into darts and he basically said well I was a tear away when I was a kid with a few more expletives than that I got stabbed three times and I realized I needed to turn my life around uh, just wasn't what I was expecting completely threw me for a spin and uh, led to one of my favorite interviews and I would say probably one of my better ones as well um, so that's probably one of my favorites um, but you know, I suppose other favourite memories that had just been, you know, having the opportunity and having the platform to be able to speak to to Martin Adams, Steve Beaton, you know, two of my absolute faves. Uh, so to chat to them was, uh, you know, a real pleasure. And the other one, uh, what is my weirdest experience from all of this? Uh, it's not your driving, Steve. Uh, your driving to and from Celci last year and uh, around Lakeside was perfectly fine. I'd say my weirdest experience uh, was probably... Uh, once was at the O2 recording an interview with Francis Carragher in a broom cupboard uh, and I'd say the other one was when I was at Lakeside this year and I was chatting to Alex Moss weekly dance cast we were chatting in the players bar in the Lakeside venue and uh, a woman heard my voice came across the room and said to me you interviewed my husband the other day uh, and she gave me a massive fright uh, Lovely woman is Helen. She's Mark Graham's wife. But uh, yeah, it was it was the fact someone had recognised me by voice made a beeline line across the room, uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was a very weird thing, something I've not experienced before, but uh, a nice one nonetheless. Thank you very much for all of those questions, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Sean, for his questions as well. wasn't expecting those at all when uh, picked up the phone last week. Uh, but that's all for this week, guys. Big thank you to Neil, Nicole, and Sean for their time. And to you for listening. I know I say it every week, but your support is greatly appreciated. I wouldn't do it if people didn't, you know, download, listen, give me feedback and stuff. And, you know, I know it means a lot to the players having a platform to talk about their careers. So as long as you guys enjoy what I'm doing, I'll keep on doing it for maybe another hundred. Who knows? Uh, I will be back next week with episode 101. But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at AM Sinclair97. You can follow the podcast at Inside the WDF. You can like the Facebook page inside the WDF and you can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you on the other side.